0: Hey, it's Ron. This episode was recorded before I launched Politicology, when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have questions, comments, or advice, you can reach us at podcast at or find us online at politicology.com. Enjoy. Hello from the Lincoln Project, and welcome back. I'm Ron Steslow. Today, Lincoln Project co founder and former political director for the California Republican Party, Mike Madrid, is going to break down how votes are counted and why we'll see the three most critical weeks in American democracy this November. So, Mike, you and I have had this conversation a few different times in different venues. Um, like our national town halls at the Lincoln Project, and you break things down so well, I wanted to bring it to the podcast because I think our listeners need to be prepared for what we're about to see going into election day. So just to set the table here, why don't we start with something very basic, which is how are ballots counted in an election between votes on election day, early voting and mail-in votes and absentee votes? And what's the difference between all of these?
1: Sure. We're always at that point in the election cycle when the numbers guy becomes the uh, (laughs) anti-anxiety, you know, Um, and I understand that because we are very close and we are going to start focusing on um, not just the process of voting, which um, is essentially uh, going to begin next few days. North Carolina will begin um, moving ballots and then uh, other states will start beginning shortly thereafter. And we'll talk, I think, about some of the state by state specifics without getting too into the weeds for people. But but broadly, what people need to understand is this. We have changed and are continually changing uh, the way that we vote because society is changing. Uh, Just 20 years ago, it was very rare for people to vote by mail. You literally, in most states, had to have an excuse from your doctor saying you couldn't go in to vote. You had to work with the county government center to allow them to have you vote by mail. That has changed dramatically. There are some states, Oregon most notably, that is kind of entirely vote by mail, And now in a time of pandemic, there are actually some states like my home state of California that will be using what's called the universal mail program, which means that every voter, every registered voter will be mailed a ballot, um, which is what causes a lot of uh, consternation and grief with the Trump White House as if we needed any more from him. But what's important to understand is that in this year, 27 states now have in some way expanded their vote by mail programs. Um, And again, this is just kind of catching up with overall societal trends. We are no longer in a period in American history where the ballots, the the polling places close on the first Tuesday after the first Monday at 8 p.m. We count ballots and then everybody has a good sense of who's going to win or a definitive answer. By midnight and you pop champagne or not, if you're the loser, and then everybody begins the process of governing the day after. Those days are, those days are gone and they're not going to come back. But we have been so, you know, habituated to that and the media has become so habituated to that that we get a little bit even more anxious when we don't know who the 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 vote the 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 winner is so the first thing i want people to understand is it's going to take a very long time and as you, you phrased it very well the month of november the first the the first three weeks of november will be the most critical i believe in in our democracy in american democracy in a very long time and so i want people to understand that this is an overall societal trend before we get into the nuts and bolts is states have been continually looking for ways to engage the process and meet voters where they're at to allow them to vote in a myriad of different ways because we're no longer a society that, you know, universally comes together and everybody brings their kids and shows them how to vote. And and we don't learn civic participation that way anymore. So, so what happens then is as we start the process of mail in uh, voting, uh, and in places like California, and, in, and the longer a state has mail-in voting, the, the, the more expansive the number of people that use mail balloting uh, becomes. It's kind of like cell phones. It started out as a kind of a unique thing, and then every year it gets bigger, and then suddenly even polling is difficult because nobody has landlines anymore, because everybody's on a cell phone. That's what's happening, and that's why we've accommodated voters to allow them to vote by mail. But again, being a you know federalist system, as we are in a United States of america, we we give all of the states a tremendous amount of latitude on how they hold and conduct their own elections. So some states have very aggressive uh, vote by mail. Some people have absentee uh, programs. Some people still, some states rather still restrict voting to kind of medical conditions, right? You have to have some sort of explanation. And then even some states like Pennsylvania have county by county specifications. Some county boards of supervisors or judges, as they're called in some states, can allow states to have early voting. You can walk into the library uh, eight, 10 10 days, three weeks in advance to actually cast your physical ballot. Other states, far more restrictive. So it's important to understand that what's going to happen on election night is going to be extremely varied, and there's going to be a big lag in some states on what is counted and when it's counted. That's important because that is the nightmare scenario that is kind of being set up and the predicate for a lot of the chaos and confusion that could make the November 4th through December 1st timeframe an extremely precarious place for democracy as we get more and more misinformation and more and more partisan attacks from both sides, but primarily from the White House and Republicans, and I'll explain demographically why could be very, very, very disruptive and leave us as a country very vulnerable to all sorts of forces, both internal and external. So
0: Mike, this part of the conversation dovetails with another conversation I recently had with Ann Applebaum, who was on the podcast. And that was about what it looks like when authoritarianism begins to take hold in a democracy. So I want you to speak to that in the context of what we're about to see in the days following election day and what we need to be prepared for.
1: One of the challenges that we have faced continually during the Trump presidency is not just the craziness, which is obviously very disconcerting, but it is the continual erosion of norms and standards, and in this instance, the institutions that make a democracy work. In many ways, chaos and confusion is the objective. It's not necessarily to steal the election. I think that's part of it. I'm not trying to dismiss that but simply causing a lack of confidence in who we are as a nation and as a healthy democracy is a huge victory for what is, I think, the ultimate goal, which, again, is in many ways the rise of author- authoritarianism. And so, just simply causing concern and seeing polling data where large swaths of people already don't have confidence, whether it's attacking the mail, the, the US mail system, whether it's asking people to vote twice uh, in North Carolina, which just happened yesterday, whether it's uh, claiming that millions of people voted illegally in states like California, which is why he didn't win the popular vote, to kind of justify why he, I think, told Laura Ingram he won the popular oh vote God. just a couple days ago, too. I yeah. mean, like this, yeah. these absurd claims, which he, he has preconditioned as such a wide swath of his followers to simply believe what he ever says now. What he is doing is setting the stage to undermine what is going to be a peculiar situation when the vote count happens. And let me use that as a transition point, if I might. So generally, and I'm going to speak in general terms because, again, we can get into state specifics in a moment, but generally what happens is this. We know, and we're seeing again in polling, that Democrats by a pretty wide margin um, have banned conditions to and are voting by mail. This, this incidentally, is a, is a marked change from 20 years ago when I was younger and started in this profession, and we would target our older voter base as Republicans to get older voters who... We, did, we, we no longer would go and pick them up to get, you know, their ride on the day of, to, you know, take them to the polling place or go to senior, you know, citizens' homes to kind of, you know, have a little shuttle to get them to... Those days are gone. They've been gone for a long time. What we did about 20 years ago is we started to train people to vote by mail. And so Republicans had a very distinct advantage in the mail balloting program. But by, by now, again, social trends have changed so much that that has basically um, either shifted or at least equalized. In this environment, what we are seeing is about 60, 68 percent, depending on the places that you poll, of Democrats are saying that they're going to vote by mail, uh, whereas Republicans are sitting at about a third, or you know, sometimes between 30 and 40 percent of Republicans, which means that the day of vote, the votes that are cast on election day, when the polling place opens at 7 a.m. and closes at 8 p.m., are going to um, be overrepresented by Republicans. That in and of itself is not bad. It's just the way that it works. We know demographically that Republicans are going to represent a disproportionate share of the electorate that casts their ballot on election day, or as we call it in the business, the day of voter. We also know that those that cast ballots by mail are going to be disproportionately represented by Democrats, okay? Uh, Both equally valid votes, Mm -hmm. both fully permissible Mm -hmm. ways to vote. Mm -hmm. It's just the way people vote, there's a partisan correlation. Yes. Again, not new. This has been documented for decades. So at 8.01 p.m., what happens is ballot boxes start moving into the county government centers. And again, votes in every state are counted at the county seat. They go from the local school or the local, you know,
0: the polling location,
1: polling place locations, the the box, the gym, the right, the local, wherever the, the polling place is locked. It's secured. It's moved securely from that polling location to the county government center. And then they rapidly have systems because they've been doing it for decades, uh, available to take those votes and, uh, process them very quickly and then do those counts. And so, Between 8 and 10 p.m., we don't see a lot of activity, but at about 10 p.m., we start to get a lot of activity, and the counts start coming in from the counties, and we can start see results coming in in real time on the East Coast. This is where you can start seeing like the North Carolinas— and, uh, uh, you know, Dixville Notch, of course, is the famous one in New Hampshire that starts You're going to see New Hampshire, the mid-Atlantic states, the New England states, and then Florida will start coming in. And then you're going to start getting a picture demographically of what is happening across the country. But you won't know for certain until, of course, all these votes come in. So those are the vote day of votes. And that's um, what, where the problem comes in is as so many more states have allowed for vote by mail, what then is going to happen is all the ballots that do come in. Mailed into the county government center, um, are held in a secure location. With a few states as an exception, very few states actually been, begin counting and processing ballots until election day closes. The ballot, the balloting precinct places close on election day, and that normally happens after the. Day of votes come in and are processed. Okay, that's very important to understand. Is ballots when, they re- when you mail in your ballot, it's not counted, it's held in a select storage, locked and secured place until all the day of votes are counted and processed. Okay, now, so what that means is the Republican votes, it by and large, with some small exceptions, but by and large, the Republican votes are going to be counted first. The, the votes that skew Democrat are then going to be counted after that, and therein lies the dilemma, mm-hmm. is once we get mm-hmm. the first full round of votes counted, and you know if you're watching at home, and I'm sure most of America will be, and it says 68% votes counted or 78% of precincts reporting, most of that is the day of vote. As it starts to come in, you start to see other uh, votes come into the process that start to change the count. And it skews towards the Democratic Party mm-hmm. demographically. There's a demographic, mathematical, historical reason why this is happening. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry to, to drag this out. No, but this is, is really everyone important.
0: needs to understand this is what's coming.
1: OK, yeah, so this is what's coming. So what, there's a very good likelihood, in fact, more likely than not, that Donald Trump will have an electoral advantage in a number of battleground states by two, three percentage points, even that wide. But when all of the votes are counted... Meaning and again, on election vote,
0: night, when the votes start coming in and not just counted,
1: but being reported, he will have precisely. an advantage on election night and the morning after. Precisely. So, and that's an important distinction too. Mm-hmm. So every day, there will be a new count as these vote-by-mail votes come in. And every day, they will likely benefit the Democrats by polling averages, which suggests 60 to 68%. Huge. So Democrats, Joe Biden, will start closing the gap every day. And this is where the misinformation campaigns are going to find a really receptive yeah. audience because Trump is conditioning his people to believe that there's g- people going to be st- the deep state or QAnon or mm-hmm. whatever is stealing the election.
0: The QAnon's on his and side. Because- don't
1: <laughs> Q- yeah. QAnon. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't even know how that conspiracy theory works. I don't know who QAnon is working for anymore. But but yes. So <laughs> who knows? So so yeah. So the election count will come in. Um, Every day, and it will until they finish counting the absentee ballots. The likelihood of that vote counting is quite large. Now, California has millions of these, so it takes you know a month and a half to count all of these votes. In places like Wisconsin, uh, far less. You can probably get it done in a week or so. So, why then? Great, great question to ask is why does it take so long to count the vote by mail ballots when it only takes six, seven hours? to count the day of ballots? yeah, It's a good question, and here's the answer. The answer is there's a signature verification that goes on. When you vote by mail, you have to sign under penalty of perjury that this is your ballot, that it's sealed correctly, and you sign, depending on most states, usually one or two places, on the outside of the ballot. And then what happens is as as, uh, workers at the county government center have to literally look at a digital signature from your voter registration card Whenever you registered, whether it was two months ago or 20 years ago, and match the signature to verify that, right? And so mm-hmm. actually, this in many states, this is actually a, a stronger verification process than not, which is why we know at, vote by mail is it's so secure. secure. Right. It's more secure than right. day of, right? right? So not only are there no problems, it's more safe and more secure. So each literally each ballot is verified against the voter file, the registration file, rather. And so um, and then, if it matches, they put it in a in a in a bucket to be counted. If there's an issue, they put it in a bucket to to look at further you know let's yeah. let's look at this one further. Yeah. And so that's what takes so long is they literally go by every ballot on the day of vote, that has already happened. When you already count when you already pick up your your ballot at the gym, that's already happened. so it dramatically speeds up the process. So that's why vote by mail takes days longer. Depending on the size of the count and the volume of the vote by mail, especially when 27 states have expanded the franchise in this way, they've never done this before. And so presumably, it's going to take a little bit longer if you want to get an accurate count. And the goal should always be in an election to have an accurate count rather than a speedy count. So there's an
0: extra layer of security with vote by mail. And yet that is the mode of voting that the president has been attacking as not secure, unless it's in Florida or wherever he wants.
1: Yeah, if it benefits, and then of course it's safe and it's secure. If it doesn't, and demographically, we know vote by mail now benefits Democrats because that's the way people are able to vote. Keep in mind, the hardest time you could possibly pick To have people show up and vote, especially if you're an essential worker or you're an hourly worker or you got two jobs, is on a Tuesday... (laughs) <laughs> in the middle of the week on a Tuesday, it's like the the most difficult week. And I'm not suggesting that was why it was begun. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But the bottom line is that's where it's at. And that's the way we have voted for 200 years. So we've kept this old system. But the middle of the week, especially if you are a working person or a single mom with two jobs, it's, it's hard, which is why vote by mail has become so um, commonplace now. It's becoming increasingly commonplace as people are are, you know, we're a mobile society and people are looking to vote by mail. (laughs)
0: This
1: is a lot. It's a
0: lot. He's been setting the stage for this kind of change in the election results of being assigned for fraud. So what kind of impact do you think that is going to
1: have on the election? So now let's talk tactically, right? So uh, I'm hoping everybody's following still and and hasn't gone to sleep yet. The nerds are with us on this one. The nerds are with us. Hang in there, nerds. The next step is what does this mean tactically, Right. Well, let's look at some of the states. For example, Florida is a pretty early counting state. Um, and in fact, some of these states allow counting early. Um, Florida begins actually the verification, not counting the vote, but they begin matching signatures on October 12th to speed up their process. Okay. So they don't open the ballot. They just match the signatures to move the process along for two weeks prior to election day so they can then process those votes as fast as day of votes. And in fact, sometimes faster because once the ballot closes at 8 p.m., they're not waiting for the ballots to come from the local gym. They've already got them there. So Florida historically has a very early reporting system. Now, that's important because Florida is a key state in the electoral map. If Joe Biden wins Florida, he has a 97%, 98% chance of winning the entire race. And if he wins that state and he wins another state like a North Carolina, the race electorally is essentially over. He can lose every other state in the Rust Belt, you know, I mean, within reason. I mean, we're talking about he's got to still win Virginia and some of these other things, but he can lose every other battleground state and still gets to 270 that's important because if the race is not as contested and he wins by a clear majority in some of the early counting states, the chance of violence and civil unrest and rallying his people to action is diminished because even if Wisconsin is is um, threatened by this process or Pennsylvania becomes problematic, it doesn't matter in the map to 270 and I think less people will get engaged or incited to this type of of anger and false outrage
0: right? if he wins florida and florida is an early reporting state so does that mean that they will report mail-in absentee votes on election night they'll be prepared to do that in their in their initial most of the reports
1: yeah because they match signatures earlier and they're one of all just a handful of states that does that yeah like remember i said earlier is most states begin the process like they literally just get them and lock them up immediately into a secure part in the county government facility and don't touch them until until election day closes. Florida actually begins matching and processing, not opening the ballots, but processing them to see what's legit and what's not. So that's important because if Florida goes for Trump and then you get a Wisconsin plus two Trump, which over a week then becomes a Biden plus two, we've got a powder keg that's going to blow up. And that's what he is positioning for, is he's prepping this close, this natural mathematical close to be that powder keg moment in the two weeks after the November 3rd election.
0: I want to give everyone like three seconds to just soak that in because this is what's coming, folks. Mike, we've seen the term pop up, calling this phenomenon everything you just outlined. Uh, we've called, <laughs> like Axios just ran the piece, uh, and they referred to it as the red mirage. And you noted that is not a good way to frame this. So, what are the dangers of calling this a mirage or a well, a mirage wind? is
1: not real, and that's why I don't like it. I don't like the term. I mean, I understand what they're saying with it and what they mean by it, because it does it is going to appear from the early count that Trump is going to be ahead. Again, Donald Trump will be at his strongest point at about a midnight on uh, November 3rd, or technically, I guess, November 4th. From that point on, his vote count will diminish. We know that mathematically. And again, we know that he is also prepping people to say, this is voter fraud, and there's people stuffing ballot box at county government centers, okay? But to call it a mirage, I think maybe it's just the math person in me, and I'm not, you know... It, it, it's not a mirage. It's it's real, but it's just in the construct of the way that we now vote. And when we start to frame it as a mirage, I think we also have the unintended consequence of suggesting that it, it's a mirage. It's not real. A mirage is not a real thing. It is real. It's just not the whole story. The story is only halfway over. Only half the ballots have been counted. We don't, for example, you know, call it a mirage when you know at eight p.m. because we're just waiting for the rest of the ballots to become in process, and we no longer vote in one way or another. So might be a technical thing that somebody that's as geeky as I am is worries about but. no,
0: I think it sort of contributes to the casting of doubt onto the process, which I think your point is that is that's what's dangerous. That's what's
1: not that helpful. is the it problem. Works. it erodes erodes confidence on both sides of the aisle, right. To say that the system doesn't work. It does work. I mean, look, whenever you're processing hundreds of millions of ballots through 50 different states and, you know, a gazillion different counties, there are going to be issues. But it is remarkable how well our system works considering the scale of this all. I mean, when you're talking about voter fraud, I mean, it's less than a tenth of a hundredth of a percent in most instances, And we can talk about some suppression techniques, which, you know, uh, if you want to, depending on how much time you want to go on and what what, what potential problems there could be with vote by mail and how a lot of these ballots can be kicked out. But by and large, the system overwhelmingly works positively. It just is going to take a little bit longer than it historically has. So the takeaway here
0: really is the system is working as it is designed to work. And anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to sow seeds of
1: civil unrest that is that is the goal that is absolutely the goal there is no evidence um and again i'm a republican i i have spent millions and millions and millions of dollars and three decades of my career working on absentee mail programs, okay? Republicans up until the Trump era were very, very, very pro-absentee mail programs. So you have to ask yourself, what happened? Did it just suddenly become a, a hot bit of corruption? It's, it's ridiculous. It, what he's trying to do is soothe his own ego by getting you know beat so badly in a blue state like California that it, it obviously must be fraud because uh, you know, I'm Donald Trump, and of course people love me, and of course they're gonna vote for me. And I think he also feels a little bit illegitimate because he lost the largest popular vote, you know, contest in the history of this country. And that hurts a guy like him who's got the issues that he has. So that, you know, his quick immediate answer is, well, th- th- it must be fraud. I mean, it can't be real. And so that narrative just got hold and the sycophants around him just kind of kept saying, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he started a commission on voter fraud, as you might recall. And, w- you know, they had one meeting and after that, they're like, there's no voter fraud. So <laughs> you never heard from it again. It just went away. Yeah. And it was like, we can't even make up the evidence because yeah. it's just, there's no voter fraud. Yeah. Can of raise one quick flag Please. of an issue, too? And again, not to take this back to this, but here's one of the potential problems that you could see with a vote-by-mail program. As I mentioned earlier, there is a signature verification process, and it is a public process. So when a county government worker is taking a ballot, an absentee ballot, and looking at it on the computer screen... And and matching the signature from the registration card digitally on the computer screen to the actual ballot in their hand, mm-hmm. that is a public process. Mm-hmm. And the public in most states, I think all states actually, but certainly in all the ones that I've worked in, has a right to challenge their judgment yeah. on every ballot. So it's not inconceivable that Republicans, knowing that the absentee ballot process favors Democrats can begin a method, methodical process of challenging each and every one of those ballots yeah. because they have a 68% chance, yeah. if the polling is correct, yeah. of kicking out a Democratic ballot.
0: And so does that make sense? It It does make sense. And I know what you're talking about, but for listeners who don't, this is what we call poll watchers, right?
1: Yes, maybe it's poll watcher 2.0, right? Yeah, but what I
0: mean is, you see the Trump campaign right now recruiting poll watchers, correct? And these the people that they would, and they call them Trump poll watchers. That's how they're advertising for these for these roles, correct? And these are traditional volunteer roles that that all campaigns recruit for on where they think there's going to be a contested election to show up at the ballot. Ca- ballot counting process and stand over the shoulders. You get one You get one from each campaign, generally, right? Stand over the shoulders of the person who is matching these signatures. And you saw this in 2000 uh, during the recount, right? Yes, right. And sort of, this is like the most famous example of this. You had people standing on, on either side basically just saying, challenge, challenge, challenge for every ballot that was not for their candidate.
1: That's what you're referring to. Exactly. So what you could conceivably see is Uh, poll watchers, uh, Trump poll watchers in Pennsylvania, which is where they're recruiting very heavily, going into quote-unquote Philadelphia precincts, right? Meaning a non-Trump part of the state where they need to keep turnout low and challenging as many vote-by-mail ballots because, again, every ballot that they get kicked out Mm -hmm. has a 68% chance of being a Democrat vote. Mm -hmm. And in Philadelphia, it's probably even higher. Mm -hmm. So the more votes that they get kicked out, the higher the likelihood that they bring down the Democratic vote.
0: Now, what happens when legitimate ballots are challenged? What happens after a ballot has been challenged?
1: So what happens is, again, it's very state-by-state on the process, but in most instances, they kind of set the challenged ballot aside, keep going and counting the non-processed ballots on the other side, and then they do the vote count, and then they get back to the challenged ballots. And then here's where it gets more interesting. Usually what happens is there's a panel, again, all in a public process, of people, kind of like you saw in Florida, determining whether that ballot had a hanging chad in the Florida instances or not. Does that signature match or does it not? Mm -hmm. And so most of the challenged ballots in those instances actually do go back into the the, the legitimate process of being counted. But again, not all of them. And I think most people would understand that if I registered 10 years ago, my signature may be a little bit different, maybe entirely mm-hmm. different. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's not me, mm-hmm. but it is different. Mm-hmm. And so, with the only verification being that match from a signature from however long ago, there is some vulnerability to that ballot, right? Mm-hmm. And the the ballot um, is can be discarded by a simple majority vote of a panel of three, for example, if that's a, if that's the county's process to move mm-hmm. that uh, ballot forward or not. Mm-hmm. And so. A, a suppression technique is to simply challenge as many ballots as possible just to try to get a handful of those votes kicked out. You do that statewide in a place like Pennsylvania, you can, move, you can move the needle. It's just worrisome. There's a lot of discussion about voter fraud, right? And, and because I think people are losing confidence in the system because th- that's, that's what the president is trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to steal an election... Voting by mail is like the worst way to do it because there's, there's basically a receipt. You're ha- basically handing the government evidence of what you did. There, there, the, the time, effort, and energy to commit voter fraud mm-hmm. is better used simply getting out the vote. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you don't go to yeah. jail for that, by the way. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, the So exa- the examples of voter fraud actually occurring are minuscule. Um, and for that reason is you have to have such a deep understanding of the process and the work and effort it takes to engage in it is so involved and arcane that if you spent that same amount of time actually working to get more people to vote and get them registered and turned out you would yield a better success than your actual voter fraud efforts and that's the thing that's always kind of perplexed me is you know look i've been working republican politics for a long time there's always been a contingent going what are we doing on voter fraud what are we doing on voter fraud it's like We're not doing anything on voter fraud, nor should we. Let's focus on our own voter base and getting our own voter base because the more time we're focusing on this this phantom concept of voter fraud, we're we're wasting time.
0: One last point here. This episode is going to come out when voters in North Carolina are starting to receive their ballots in the mail, regardless of whether they live in North Carolina or another state. What do voters need to do to make sure their ballot is cast, counted um, accurately?
1: Well, the first thing you should do is go to vote.org and see what kind of systems your state allows. Just kind of look it up and take a, a, a good gander at that if you're planning on voting by mail. If you're going to vote today of, you know, give yourself a little bit of extra time because I think it's going to be very, very heavy turnout. We might have, I think David Wasserman predicted we'd have 150 million voters for the first time in American history. I think we're going to have extremely high turnout with the possible exception of you know a major pandemic outbreak or something like that. But even then, I think the intensity levels are off the roof and people are going to show up and vote. So um, I I hate to say it's preferable to vote that way because it's really not. Uh, I'm going to say that only because there is so much anxiety about the narrative that has been set about voting by mail that if you've got the opportunity to go vote in person or vote early, a lot of states allow you to vote early. Vote Um, early vote early, then show up and vote early and, and 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 take your ballot to the county government center or the gym or wherever your early station is. And again, vote.org will be able to tell you where that's allowed and then guide you through the system to find out where it is. Vote early, just get it done, get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. If you're going to vote by mail, also vote early. Do your homework early, learn about the local issues, who you're going to vote for down ticket and then cast your ballot and then you know cast it within a week or so of, of receiving it. And you should be fine. If you get into within a week, of, of voting um, by mail, try to just take the ballot into the polling place. And again, mm-hmm. I, I'm saying that without being alarmist. I also don't think it's that big of a problem if you mail it in four or five days prior. And I know that people are going to kind of light me up on Twitter for saying this, but it's probably not going to be that big of an issue. Having said that, um, be you know, err on the, on the side of caution and safety. You want to make sure that your vote um, is in fact counted. If you get into that narrow window of three days prior and you haven't voted, and I'll be honest with you, I've been a permanent absentee voter for 20 years. I, I'm so busy on campaigns, I forget to mm-hmm. vote until the last weekend before. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I got I to got vote now. <laughs> I'm talking to millions of voters. Yep. Oh, I got to vote. So I end up driving mine into the county government center every year, like clockwork. Yeah. I end up taking yeah. mine in in person. Yeah. And it's not that big of a deal. But that's what you should do if you're within that three-day window. If you find yourself on Saturday prior to the election... Uh, plan on driving it into the ballot box or the polling place on uh, Monday if they allow early voting. Or if you can't, then you can take your absentee ballot in to your polling place, and I think virtually every state and hand it off there. And if not, they will destroy your absentee ballot and give you a vote day of vote um, to a ballot to turn in. So just early, just vote as early as you possibly can. Do your homework. Do do your research. Um, um, if not, then you know set aside an hour to get in front of the internet and sit down with your ballot and your your ballot pamphlet and walk through the issues and cast that ballot as early as you possibly can.
0: I think it's very important to also note that the other thing you should do is take what you've learned today and share it with your friends and family and your networks about what we are likely to see on election night and the days that follow so that they can also be
1: prepared. It's very important also that people remember that there's not a vote counting day anymore. Like that's a part of American history that's gone. And it may seem a little bit awkward, especially with the amount of intensity and focus on this election and the media with their kind of interactive maps and the man or woman wants to turn it blue or red and AP is calling this vote or that vote. The truth of the matter is they want the ratings, they want the rush. We have to be patient as a nation at a time when patience is not a virtue Mm -hmm. anymore. We have to take a deep breath and realize an accurate count is more important than a speedy count. And the more votes that are cast... The greater the likelihood there's going to be a Biden win, so there's going to be a lot of noise, a lot of noise Mm -hmm. as all of those ballots that are sitting in county government centers are come come in and are processed. Um, So you need to be vigilant, you need to be patient, you need to uh, keep focusing on messaging and talking about the imperative having the integrity of the election matter and every vote counted through the right and appropriate process. Voting by mail has about a one percent. Um, invalidity rate, 1%. And most of those are a result of either signatures not matching an unfilled signature space on the outside of the envelope. Oftentimes an unsealed envelope arrives and they cannot count that because it may be tampered with. A few relates to late arrivals, but it's, I'm going to say this very cautiously, It's only 1%, but 1% is a lot in an election like this. It's an extraordinarily high amount. So be mindful that if you have any questions about it, that you're handling this process early. If there are any questions and you can take it into the uh, polling place, do so. Otherwise, make sure your signature matches your registration card to the great extent that you can, but get those ballots in and get them in early.
0: I think it's important to note for our listeners the volume of ballots that are going to be cast by mail or absentee or, um, or early this year, we're anticipating, um, especially in battleground States that North of 70% of all ballots cast of all votes cast are going to be via mail or absentee. That's a huge number. We also know that by the time the second debate happens, which is early to mid October, um, more than 50% of all ballots of all votes will have been cast more than 50% of all ballots will have been cast, which means that this election could very well be over by the middle of October and we will not know who won. Is that right?
1: That's a great way to put it. Mathematically, it's very likely that we will have a big enough representative sample to know who is essentially or mathematically who the, who the winner is going to be on October 15th. We'll just go through the normal machinations as we should. I'm not suggesting any change, to make sure that everybody has votes in between, but there are so many people voting by mail now, and I think you said it really well. It's seventy to ninety percent mm-hmm. of votes cast in battleground states will be cast by mail. I mean that is extraordinary, Huge. and as a result, election day actually begins. Uh, you know, this this Monday coming up, it, it's actually a voting month. It's not a voting day anymore. When more people are voting or as many people are voting by mail as voting on the day of, it's very important to understand that every day matters. The earlier, the better. And the outcomes, as you said, of of a lot of late-breaking October surprises don't have the impact that they used to if it's only a week before the election because most of the ballots are already in and we know the demographic composition of the votes that are not in yet.
0: Mike, thank you for breaking this down for us.
1: Ron, it's always great to be with you. I hope it was helpful.
0: It was super helpful. And thanks to all of you at home for listening. This episode was recorded when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have any questions or advice, you can reach us at podcast at And please know that even if we don't respond, we read every email we get and we love hearing from you. If you enjoy the show, it would help us if you could rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode.